Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, beloved. Welcome today to Bible study time here with Barnes Ministries. I'm glad to be with you today. It's a beautiful day and we got a wonderful text to consider and to think about. And I enjoy being with you and I hope you do too. Now, let's begin with a prayer. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, give us the ability to hear your holy word however it comes to us this morning. Bless our imagination. Bless our thoughts. And may we grow in the love and admiration of thee. For you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We bless you, we praise you, and we honor you, and indeed invoke your presence with us. Amen. Well, we're going to continue on through First Timothy and look at a little bit of an outline of chapter 4 this morning. A passage from one of the pastoral epistles, what you call First Timothy, a pastoral letter to him from St. Paul. The fourth chapter, beginning at the first verse, I read from the Living Bible, But the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some in the church will turn away from Christ, become eager followers of teachers with devilish inspired ideas. These teachers will tell lies with straight faces and do it so often that their consciousness won't even bother them. They will say it's wrong to be married, wrong to eat meat, even though God gave these things to well-taught Christians to enjoy and be thankful for. For everything God made is good. We may eat it gladly if we are thankful for it, if we ask God to bless it, for it's made good by the word of God and prayer. If you explain this to the others, you will be doing your duty as a worthy pastor who's fed by faith and by the true teaching you have followed. Don't waste time arguing over foolish ideas Silly myths and legends. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Bodily exercise is all right, but spiritual exercise is much more important. And it is a tonic for all you do. So exercise yourself spiritually and practice being a better Christian because That'll help you not only now in this life, but in the next life too. This is the truth. 
And everyone should accept it. We work hard and suffer much in order that people will believe it. For our hope is in the living God who died for all and particularly for those who have accepted his salvation. Teach these things. Make sure everyone learns them well. Don't let anyone think little of you because you're young. Be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and your clean thoughts. Until I get there, read and explain the scriptures to the church. Preach God's word. Be sure to use the abilities God has given you through his prophets. When the elders of the church lay their hands upon your heads, put these abilities to work. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone may notice your improvement and progress. Keep a close watch on all you do and think. Stay true to what is right. God will bless you and use you to help others. And there ends a lesson for our concerned this day looking at the fourth chapter together we are reading from a text that is given to us from a time in the history of the church called the post-apostolic time it's a, a difficult time for the church and we read this text through those lenses in the glasses because it's important to remember that by this time, the apostles had probably begun to die out. And all that was in the world that was extant or in existence that was there had come about on the scene after the time of Jesus and after the time of the apostles. They had no real witnesses there. And so, so as happens often, they began to grow cold, some of them. Just, just grow cold to the gospel and its sweet message. And many began to fall away for various reasons. I mean, it, it, Jesus was coming again, but he hadn't come. And I mean, it, for many, it was just as simple as that. They grew weary for the glory days of long ago and longed for them and ached for them. It's, it's not, not, not unreasonable for us to think about that. A lot of people today just spend their times in the history of the of, of, of bygone eras. Can't see that their life lies ahead of them, not behind them. And that certainly was true of the church. It's this new life of Jesus was ahead of them, not behind them. This was the post-apostolic time. Church was developing too. It was growing in various areas in different ways. It's been said that the church did not grow like roots of a tree, but it grew like wiregrass. And it's often important to remember that. The church as a phenomenon was didn't grow like other things do. It grew in Alexandria, in Egypt, at the same time that it was growing in Rome, it grew all over 
the Middle East almost simultaneously. If it wasn't, it wasn't carried from place to place so much as it was just a movement of the spirit. Doesn't require geography, boundaries, time. It just happens. And this is what was happening in the post-apostolic age. The growth of the church had just gotten away from the church. <laughs> it was growing everywhere. It would, it would, you'd have a church in one town, and then another one would start in the same town. I mean, and so at the same time that that was happening, heresies were growing at the same rate of speed. In order to keep up with the magnification of God's word came the power of the darkness itself. Heresies began to emerge. People that said and did strange things and called it Christianity. One outfit called the Gnostics is worth considering for you, for you to study, independent of this Bible study. If you're interested in that, Gnosticism is probably what is referred to here as the false teachers. Strange belief that you had to have a special knowledge in order to come to Jesus or get to know Jesus. Certain restrictions they placed on one another, like they felt you couldn't get married because if you did, you'd be you'd be bowing down to the flesh, which you shouldn't do, and had all kinds of weird notions. And the church didn't like that, and talks about it here to Timothy. And he lifts up the goodness of marriage and puts down celibacy. And the whole matter of what you eat and food is discussed here. All food is good for you, says Paul here to Timothy. Made by God and all, but everybody believed that. You know, the Jews had their own prescription for food. Oh my, many people still do. I mean, certain things they don't eat. For religious reasons and so forth. Well, now this is looked down upon because it's perceived of as a heretical teaching. But both both the growth of the church and the growth of the heresies were complicating the issue. And and distinctions of clarity between what was good and bad or good and evil came up. What was a good shepherd? Or what was a bad shepherd? What was a, a godless shepherd, as the old outline Bible puts it? Or a God-fearing shepherd? What, what was the difference between them? And that's laid out here. The discussion of that is about that in relation to shepherds. There's a discussion of the godless shepherds, false teachers, Hypocritical, lying religious leaders are not anything new about that. From the foundation of the church, they've always been those that perverted that. What will they do? Well, of course, they'll abandon the faith. They'll they'll give up their faith. They'll follow teachings that come about eating certain foods. They'll forbid marriage, and they'll do it, proclaiming the end of the world is coming or Something like that, that may or may not at the time have seemed true, but be hypocritical about it, hypocritical about it. Why are they wrong about the eating of 
food because everything God created is good, it says here, and thus should not be rejected. Everything God created is made holy by God's word. And that's important to remember. Makes it holy, God's word. But a godless shepherd will not let God's word create it and make it holy. They were trying to figure out, this early church, what was required to be taught in the first place. And you see little snippets of that when you when you look at the closing of the third chapter. You had that little creed. If you look back at the end of the third chapter, you'll see it there. It talks about Jesus who appeared in the body was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, announced to the nations, believed by the world, taken up into heaven. See, that's a, a, a kind of a struggle to, to state accurately what it is that they believed and what should be taught in the church. Where in the world the leadership was to be based Who was the leader? Was it a bishop? Was it a deacon? There are parallels of discussions about that. Rome became the leader because Rome was the biggest town. And after all, St. Peter was supposedly have wound up there and been the first pope after his, his martyrdom there. Rome became Papa which is the word for Pope, Papa, Pope. And that was the church that they began to listen to more than others in their conferences because it was so large. We we make the mistake of confusing uh, volume with power. That's a, a thing the church has always done where we, where we see the most power or we see the most smoke. We think the most is going on when often that is not true. But the question of qualification has to do with character. Who was qualified to lead this early church? Timothy should be one of character. There were social changes that made that confusing. Time was passing. Changing their requirements. Their discipline was just now beginning to formulate itself in this post apostolic age. These same forces were creating both these things, remember, both the church and the heresy, the social circumstances creating that that time. And they, they were some had a theoretical freedom, they felt like from the law, which another faction felt they should not do that because Jesus didn't come to change it. You know, remember he said that? But in other places he seems to acknowledge our human freedom from it. So it's a complex confusion. And who was qualified to lead had to do with how the church was structured. Who was going to be in charge and what were they going to do for leadership? And here in this fourth chapter, we began to see that a godly shepherd 
doesn't waste time over foolish ideas and silly myths. Chapter 4, verse 7. In other words, he's a, probably a man of one book, which is what Wesley said he wanted his preachers to be men of one book, that Bible. He didn't believe that the Bible was a scripture. You had hung all that other stuff on. Your reason, your, you know, and all of that. Your, your human reason could, the Bible could supersede that sometimes. Uh, your own experience was not nearly as important as the Holy Word of God. Don't waste time on silly things. Don't be intimidated because you're young. Apparently, Timothy was a young man, but that certainly indicates that he was. And he, then therefore, a lot of times people scoff at you because of your youth. But he was converted and he was trying to be a leader. And the Lord was honoring that. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. Whatever that might be, warn the church members concerning apostasy. The greatest danger to the church is apathy. You just don't do anything. You just sit quiet and let let the mess just happen. You know that that uh, that that's that's the greatest greatest shame. You know, I, Martin Luther King, I'm, he's remembered for saying the greatest danger. Is not the people who who, who uh, are chasing us, but it's the people that don't do anything, the people that are doing nothing, that are the biggest threat. And when he says there in the sixth verse, warn church members com- concerning apostasy, he's he's trying to get the leader into a bolder sense of saying what it is that the the Lord is telling the leader. Because a lot of times the Lord will tell the leader something that the leader don't necessarily believe. But the leader has to say what it is that the Lord seems to be saying to them as a church leader. Might not amount to nothing. Might amount to everything. But tell them what it is. I know one time I was in a small church and I heard the Lord, clear as a bell, say you ought to build a, a, a balcony in this church. Oh, so so you'll be getting more people in here. And I'm a pretty straightforward guy. I don't, you know, cut in any corner. And I'm certainly not a big church builder. And I didn't particularly care a whole lot about it. But I told them what I saw in a dream. And they said, oh, my Lord, you know what that'll cost? And I said, I don't care. I'm just telling you what the Lord said to me. So what you hear from the Lord may or may not come to pass. And it may not be important. But if you don't say it, if you don't say it as the apostolic leader, then there's a break in the connection between God and the church. Because like it or not, the leader is often the one that God imposes upon them a word for the flock. He doesn't just speak out of the sky. Sometimes they call that a bot call. He does it in the New Testament a couple of times. Down by the mean he's baptized and so forth. But ordinarily, he'll speak right through uh, Balaam's ass. That's what Martin Luther said. <laughs> if, if you'll talk through Balaam's ass, you'll talk through me. Uh, and and just, just be conscious of the fact that as a church leader, what you hear from God is to be communicated, not bottled up inside you. And you're a role model in all of what you do, says, says 
says Paul here to Timothy. Your character is important. You can't get away with not being an upright person. This is really, really, really significant here. Character, a character study. This uh, is to mean that you're to have a spiritual discipline about you. Some kind of a athletic, spiritual discipline for the life in this world and the life that is to come. This can take many shapes in many forms. It could be just having a certain time of day to pray, wherever it is you're located, as a spiritual leader. If you do it twice a day and tell the folk where you will be and what you will be doing for no more than 15, 20 minutes, there's great power in that. Because the people will know at a certain time, they'll be able to look at their clock and say to themselves, the pastor's praying. Pastor's praying now. For me, it was six in the morning and six at night. Worked beautifully for me. Might not work for you. But I went to the church, opened it up, went in there and for 15, 20 minutes prayed. Slowly the people began to come. And what surprised me most was People who came who I knew didn't know nothing about it. I mean, that is to say, they were not necessarily the people that I thought would be there. There were, there were people that, that came that had needs that were communicated to me, and and I, I told them what I saw. And that's all that it amounted to. But it's important to have a discipline about you of a spiritual nature. Teach the written material, he encourages him here. Teach Paul's written material. Uh, speech and your speech and your conduct and your love and your faith and your purity, you will make yourself known to men. So if you're in a town somewhere and you're one of the churches in the little town, how you behave is going to be really, really important. Because the church is a growing institution now in this post-apostolic age. They can't have lazy leaders. They can't have a confused teaching. Can't have it. They're going into a future now, putting the past behind them and going forward to tomorrow. They're beginning to exemplify the gift that comes from the laying on of hands, apostolic hands. That is, they can look back and say, well, our preacher was baptized by Paul, and Paul came to know Jesus on the Damascus Road, and Jesus spoke to Paul. So we got Jesus, Paul, somebody else maybe, and then our pastor. So they put together these ordination chains where you could tell by looking at somebody if in fact the blessing of the Lord was being carried on, carried on, carried on, carried on. In a, in a chain. I have an ordination chain. Uh, back on me was a, a bishop. Back on that bishop was another bishop. Back on that bishop was another bishop. And went, went back to one from the south. 
Bishop Andrews, and went on down. Finally, finally got all the way back to John Wesley. That was as far as I, <laughs> I wanted to go. But I got that far in my own ordination chamber just by looking at history books. But the public of reading of scripture, public prayer, public teaching was now beginning to come forward as important in this post-apostolic age. Not only should the preacher save himself, but his flock was, was more important. And he would exempl he or she would exemplify the gift of hands that were laid upon them. And now we're going to go on through this lesson. And we're going to come out now in the fifth chapter, perhaps next time I see you. If not, we may go back and pick up some of the verses that have preceded us in this discussion of Timothy. But I hope you've enjoyed this material and learned something by it this morning. I hope you see that if you are a teacher in church, for example, or a preacher, you are important. You are special. You are reserved for righteousness set aside to do his good work. A person of character to be spoken well of and never forgotten. Great teachers are just just never forgotten. They're always remembered. When I was a young man, I got into some kind of trouble first with four or five boys and uh, we just we're in trouble with the law. And the lawyer told me, he said, son, you might want to find yourself a character witness. <laughs> What's that? He said, well, somebody who would say something good about you, if there is anybody like that. I was a young, young little thing, you know, a teenager. And I said, uh, I went to my Sunday school teacher, whom I had not seen in a long, long time. And uh, he was a little short man. And we were so bad. He had a boys Sunday school class. We were so bad that we would get in that Sunday school room and lock that fan outdoors. Lock the doors on him so he couldn't get in the room to us. And then put the window up and jump out the window. I mean, we were just awful. But he taught us about, well, he taught us a lot about the laws of God. Trying to make us into good characters. And I asked him if he'd be my character witness. And he said, sure. He said, I'll be happy to do it. And he did. And of course, I, everything was dismissed. But at the same time, I learned from that. One thing I learned. You might forget the lesson. But you won't forget the Sunday school teacher. If you get in trouble, you, you will remember them. And the preacher's like that too. I can't tell you countless preachers that I remember and love so much. Just love them. Because they first loved me. For no reason other than Jesus. So today, look up to the Lord and trust in his holy word. And remember, there is such a thing as a post-apostolic age. <laughs> it's a long time we're still in it. And I bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye-bye for today.
Cresce em beleza, força e luz. 